This is Shack Talk, presented by Eskimo Ice Fishing Gear and hosted by Kyle Agri and Anthony Kleinwachter. Turn up your speakers, grab your gear, and hit the ice with us as we talk ice fishing. Come on in, grab a bucket, and have a seat. We are talking ice fishing. Kyle Agri here with Anthony Kleinwachter, and we are joined on this first segment of the podcast, Josh Krejcia. Josh is a member of the Fish Addictions team. He's a member of the Eskimo team. He is uh, kind of an all-around outdoor guy, and uh, we're going to be talking some some ice safety with him in this segment. It is, Anthony, as we look, this is it. This is uh, our, our episode 10. Our, our, our We're at the end of the season, and, and it's kind of bittersweet, isn't it, when you think about uh, all of the, the guests we've had and, and uh, you know, as as we would tell Josh, we saved the best to last. We've got him in here today, but uh, we're going to be kind of closing out the season with today's uh, with today's uh, couple of segments we're doing. Yeah, the ice is fading fast, and you know, as we're a lot of people are changing gears, they're getting ready for that open water season, and we thought it'd be great to just throw out a reminder for some of this late season ice safety. There's there's some good fishable ice out there in certain areas and there's some destinations you can head to to get on some safe ice still, but we thought it'd be good and timely to maybe talk about some of those things and just remind everybody for those that don't maybe aren't educated on what is safe and what isn't safe. There's a lot of variables that go into that, so we thought we'd touch on that and you know, give some Give some more information on that topic. I think it's very timely. I think it's a great topic to to bring out to our listeners. Ice safety in the spring is different than ice safety in the fall and early winter. We're talking about two completely different animals there. And and I know between the three of us, we, we want to stretch every last minute we can on the ice before we, we wave the white flag for the season. But we we still have to keep safety in mind. It's a, yeah, it's a big part. Yes. Josh, what are what are some of the things that come to your mind first and foremost here as as ice is deteriorating in in terms of just maybe some visual things folks can look for? Well, visually, the first thing for me, if that lake, if that ice is still holding water on top of it, chances are that's still pretty walkable and fishable ice. You're probably still looking at at least a foot of ice. Um, you know that water's not penetrating there, so it's good solid hard ice still. So that's one thing that you can really key on when you're out there, when you're looking for a lake to fish. I know that, uh, I know the answer to this, but I want to ask the question anyway. Uh, is ice thickness a factor? Does that play into to how safe the ice is when we're talking about spring spring access on a lake? Never. Um, I don't think that goes any time of year personally, but especially in the spring, I mean, personally, I've been on ice that has been about 18 inches thick, but it's been rotten and honeycombed and come up in chunks, and one swipe of your spud bar and you're going through it. Um, To me, that's not safe ice. I'd rather be on four inches of ice that has water on top of it than anything like that. Good, solid black ice we get early winter. That's that's a lot stronger ice than a foot, foot and a half, two feet of, of ice, as you described, honeycomb, rotten, really doesn't have that much strength left in it. When it comes up like ice cubes when you're drilling it, probably, you know, that might be your last day if you even want to stay out there that day. Yeah, and I think it's good to point out, too, the difference between that good dark ice in the early season and when you see that dark ice in the late season. The dark ice in the late season means that 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 ice is getting really full of water, 
and it's getting close to going out. So, you know, that's one of those keys. If you can see those really dark patches or the lake, entire lake is turning dark, you know that you're kind of reaching that end point. And at that point, you know, if you're questioning it, I usually say if it's not worth risking it if it's if it's getting to that point where you're even questioning it. You're, yeah, exactly. exactly. They are just fish after all. <laughs> you'll, well, get, and, you'll get them in two weeks with the open water yeah. rod. Yeah, that's that's the point, too, that we have to know when enough is enough based on safety conditions. I know I've, I've heard many folks talk about the fact that they use planks, they use waders to get out to the ice sheet as it starts, you know, withdrawing from the shoreline. Can there still be safe ice in the middle of the lake and the shoreline is, is open water? Yes, it, there definitely can be. Um, the shoreline, that's probably going to deteriorate faster. You know, you're getting all the water runoff coming from land. You know, mud mixes in with that. Mud obviously gets warmer with the sun. So, I've yeah, you could definitely still get out on a sheet of ice and still be safe. And it's typically the shallower water that's going to warm up faster. So a lot of people don't realize is a lot of times that ice is melting from the bottom up. It's not on top with getting that direct sunlight. The ice almost acts like a greenhouse and it warms that water up below the ice and it's melting from the bottom up. So when you get close to shore, it doesn't take long for that light to get through and hit that bottom where it's a dark bottom and it's going to warm that water up fastest. And that's why that ice gets bad faster and like josh mentioned you've got current you could have vegetation um, anytime there's something sticking out through the water whether that's reeds or cattails or sunken trees or different things rocks even that's going to collect even more heat and that's going to deteriorate that ice faster so those are the reasons why that shoreline is always going to deteriorate a lot faster than the main body of water absolutely so current Current plays a factor in ice safety regardless of the time of the year it is. Uh, I would have to imagine that's even more prevalent and more pronounced as as that ice starts to recede and, and starts melting. Absolutely. Any moving water is going to wear away that ice faster. I look at current just like you would first ice. You just stay away from the moving water. You know, it's never a safe area. Bridges, culverts, ditches. Anything like that, I just try to avoid those areas as much as possible. I know I've seen situations and, and scenarios where some of that moving water under a culvert, for instance, like Devil's Lake, is one of the, the places I've seen it specifically. Um, people have, have put a, a small boat in off the shore near those those bridges and current areas, and yet there'll be someone in an ice shack 100 yards, 200 yards away on safe ice. Mm-hmm. And I, I was kind of apprehensive at first, but talking to, to some of the people that have done that, they said, you just have to be really, really diligent about watching the signs, knowing what's safe and what's not safe and not getting too close to those transition areas where that current is. And I think being careful on, you know, just even the daily conditions. I think one thing that can happen a lot in the spring is the conditions can change so much faster. When you're in the December period and the ice is forming, that ice isn't going to change a lot within the day. But I've been on the ice in the spring and anywhere that there's that moving water or sunlight or anything, you can lose six inches to a foot of ice in a matter of hours. And so knowing that where you're, wherever you're fishing and being mindful of those conditions, it gets colder in the evenings, that ice will firm back up. But as soon as that sun comes back out, it's going to get weak, and that's I think that's what gets a lot of people in trouble is they, they think that the ice is safe, they'll get out there, and it's solid, and 
by the afternoon, I've heard a lot of stories of people coming off the ice and they're breaking through by shore. You know, you hear a lot of the vehicles or ATVs or anything like that that go through. I would say nine times out of 10, that's probably in the afternoon once that ice is at its weakest point. Absolutely. I remember a year, uh, a number of years ago on Lake Winnipeg in March, when we were driving through big areas where there was meltwater on top of the ice, and there was three feet of ice underneath, good solid ice. And in the course of a day and a half, and like you described, Anthony, that second day, it was a, a difference from the morning until the afternoon. All of a sudden, mid-afternoon, we looked around and there was no more water anywhere. You'd drill a hole and your splash that you'd pull up when you were done drilling, the water would instantly sink right through that ice sheet. We got off the ice in a, in a pretty short order after that. All of the guides out there canceled clients for the rest of the year after that specific day. And within five days, it was open water. And that was three feet of good ice underneath there, you know, uh, uh, 10 days earlier. That just goes to show how fast it can go when it decides it wants to go. And I think you have to take into the factors, you know, what kind of winter you had. I know this year we had a lot lighter, milder winter. We didn't get the really thick ice in certain areas. And so I really think that a lot of the areas that, you know, maybe only had half of the normal ice that they normally would, that ice is going to go even faster and people aren't going to really realize that. They're going to see the ice out there and be like, oh, there's still a couple of weeks left, but it's going to go quick. And you know, hopefully everybody just makes sure that they're playing it safe and, you know, knowing what to look for, look for those signs and being safe out on the water. I know our area, we had a lot of snow cover on our lakes. That's another factor. The snow cover, your ice isn't going to take the punishment from the elements like it would, let's say, Lake of the Woods. I know they didn't get the snow cover like we did down here this year. So that's another factor that you want to factor into it too is uh, just be mindful of lake conditions before we're uh, getting into this period of ice season. And where there's a lot of traffic too, just the, the idea of the abuse that the ice takes and the wear and tear it takes on the surface, areas where you have a lot of vehicle traffic, whether it be trucks, whether it be uh, you know uh, wheelhouses, um, ATVs, UTVs, snowmobiles, whatever, that, that wears on the ice. And uh, especially what, what I've noticed is some of the access points where people are driving trucks off of the roads and onto the ice and a lot of a lot of highway departments road maintenance areas are using salts or some type of a salt solution to keep the ice melted off the highways well that collects on your vehicles and and as you're bouncing around getting on and off that sheet of ice it's inevitably some of that stuff's going to either through splashing or just jarring loose it's going to fall on the ice there and and come you know, it's not such a big deal in mid-January, but this time of the year when things are warming up, that'll that'll deteriorate faster. Yeah, knowing where those access points are, making sure that you're being aware of, you know, those conditions. I always look for there there is good ice out there still and, and knowing where to access those points is really key. Anywhere that's maybe a, a south shoreline that's maybe getting a little shade from the trees. Those points will usually last a little bit longer. If you've got a north shoreline that's got an access on it, it's going to be getting beat by the sun. It's going to have all that salt on there. I would definitely shy away from that, just knowing the fact that it's going to break up faster. And even just the matter of you know parking at an access and walking out, you can get 20 yards away from that access where the vehicles are driving on, and the ice is probably perfectly fine. Um, so knowing the conditions and if you can get out there, 
I'd recommend walking, go light, pull a little sled, keep your gear in the sled because that'll distribute the weight even more. And, you know, there's a lot of opportunities to to get out and walk out and, and still be able to get on some fishing yet this winter. So question for the two of you, safety gear. Do you bring anything special as the season progresses that you didn't bring out earlier when the, the ice was at its strongest? See, to me, I like to relate back to bringing some of the same stuff out that I had first ice, you know, whether it be a ice chisel, picks. Um, granted, everybody in the market right now is making flotation suits. Yeah, I'll still wear that. And if you don't have access to one of those, some of the new life jackets that they're coming out with nowadays, the inflatable ones, are super comfortable to wear. And I, would, I wouldn't be ashamed to wear one of those out there, that's for sure. Yeah, and don't forget about ice cleats. There's no snow on these lakes anymore. It's going to be melting off, and once it warms up and is wet on top, it's even slip, more slippery on the ice. So don't forget a good set of cleats and, you know, your other gear, the rope, the planks that you mentioned on getting on and off the ice. Um, I've even heard people as going as far as, like you said, putting the chest waders on, putting a stepladder in the water, and then stepping back up onto the ice, like, it's it's a little unorthodox, but I think if you're safe or using a little John boat to get out onto the sheet of ice, there's a lot of precautions that you can take. Um, just know what you're looking for and understand the conditions and, you know, be prepared. Tell somebody where you're going. Go with a buddy. You know, don't go it alone if it looks risky or, you know, never risk it for, for getting out on that ice. We're talking to Josh Krejci here, uh, Eskimo team member. Fish Addictions team member. We're talking about late ice safety, which I think is an incredibly relevant topic. Let's break from that for a second. Josh, highlight of your ice season here, the 2019-2020 ice season. Oh, the highlight of my year this year would have to be one of the fish addiction shoots that we did. We went uh, North Dakota perch fishing. And a lot of the guys that I fish with, they know that jumbo perch are my absolute favorite. I just get riled up and excited for them. And we had a day on the ice that was, um, I'm just trying to find the words to describe it. It it still brings back memories of that day. Um, It was magical, I would. Epic, awesome, magical. I I luckily had the privilege of sharing the ice that day. And, you know, it was one of those bites (laughs) where everybody's laughing and having a good time. And you'd think that you'd get excited about a big fish and then you get excited about two or three or four. When you put 15, 20 of them on the ice, and it was a day that I won't soon forget, I'm sure. No, I mean, I think almost everybody out there caught a new personal best. And the build on these perch, I mean, they were like footballs. (laughs) There aren't very many perch that you can get that are 14 inches that are pushing that two-pound mark. Wow. But there was a few of them that day that were probably pushing close to two and a half pounds. That's just amazing. And you know what's really cool is whether it's uh, it's North Dakota, South Dakota, uh, maybe not for perch, but if you're in Minnesota, some of those little hidden gems are out there. You just have to be willing to work for them, do your research, find, be brave enough to go somewhere that other people haven't gone. Keeping safety in mind, right? Our topic yep, here, we're talking yep. safety. That's always important and should go uh, wherever we go. But if we're if we're willing to do that and and kind of try out and be the explorer and the trailblazer in some of these places, uh, from what I understand it, this this location you did this film on was uh, was pretty much untouched. Pretty much untouched. And it's just one of those 
that uh, a little bit of homework at night if you're a weekend fisherman, you do a little bit of homework at night during the week going on to game and fish, look at their stocking reports, look at their net results, and, you know, you guys can get out there and find some of these lakes too. They're, the, it's public record, so everybody's open to look around and see what there is out there. You might strike out 10 times, but the one time you hit one, you hit it far. You're going to remember it. <laughs> You're going to remember it. Home run champs always have the highest number of strikeouts, right? Absolutely, right? Barry Bonds, I think he struck out a lot, didn't he? Yeah. He walked, too. <laughs> that is any, awesome. Any other, Josh, any other uh, trips you got lined up, last ice, trying to hit one more thing before you get out, before the season's over? Well, this year has been kind of a tough year, personally, walleye fishing for me, so I want to get out to that Devil's Lake region for the last ice walleye um, hurrah. You know, they're starting to stage up in front of these shallow bays and channels and everything else like that, and that one can be a fun bite too. That that one's like my big trip that I have planned for the rest of this year. Yeah, I echo that. We got on a really fun bite last year, and I know I've got a, a you know pike trip lined up that I'm going to try and get on yet, so... I'm really looking forward to that, and I think there's a lot of opportunities. I know we talked a lot about safety, but there's still a lot of opportunities. If you want, head north. I know the lakes, uh, Lake of the Woods, Lake Winnipeg, further north, there's good ice up there. There's ice up until April, sometimes even May up there. So if you're looking for that adventure, there's some opportunities, but hopefully in your areas there's some some ice still to maybe get out on and you know, just be safe, and we're hoping that everybody can enjoy that last little bit. There's nothing better than sitting on the ice, getting a suntan, and uh, sunburn. Some, yeah, sunburned. <laughs> You're exactly right, and there's there's also something, and and fishing inside of a shack is fine, but this time of the year when you can be outside and it can be a bigger group and and friends, and you can have some chatter back and forth and and hoot and holler when someone gets a good one. There's there's just something special about it. Yeah. I'd agree a hundred percent with you there. Yep. It's it's good stuff. So, uh, Josh, thank you. Thank you for giving us some of your time. We appreciate it. We appreciate hearing, uh, hearing your advice and, and your stories as well. It's, it's all good. And, uh, and we're not done yet. We're going to take a short break right now and we're going to come back and we're going to do some more, uh, ice fishing talk here in just a moment and, uh, and probably then wrap it up for the season. So, uh, stick around. We'll be right back after this short break. second podcast segment here and uh, as we mentioned in our opening this is going to be our last podcast for the season we really enjoyed talking about all the different topics that we've had all season I know Kyle and I we've spent another full season out on the ice we've been able to have our trials and tribulations out on the ice and we really enjoyed sharing those with you but really kind of wanted to give you all a recap maybe a little bit of kind of what our season entailed what's ahead for us and you know what can we what tips can we leave you with for preparing for next year so Kyle that's a great a great intro to our final segment of the season and it's always bittersweet when this season comes to an end when we're doing this last podcast when we get to that point in the year because you know early on you you look at this season and you think this is a long season it's gonna last forever and you know about two blinks of the eye later here we are and and in a lot of areas that are, are 
real big ice fishing areas in our country. Their ice is already gone. I know in our neighborhoods here, Anthony, we are, we've, we've got some ice stuff, but it's not long. Yeah. And as we mentioned in the previous segment, this has kind of been one of those weird seasons where you never really, we never really got the huge cold and the tons of ice that we normally see. And I think the conditions kind of played into that. And I think it's going to go quick. I mean, I know now recently it's kind of cooled down a little bit, so it's maybe not going quite as fast, but you know, for what ice that is out there, that's, you know, not North of, you know, the border further North is going to probably go pretty quick. I would agree with you a hundred percent. And Anthony, what do you have left? If anything, do you have left for the remainder of the ice season and uh, until we, you know, call our quits and, and stow our stuff away for another summer? So I've got one one itch left to scratch, and that's a big trophy pike on tip-ups. I'm really hoping to get that trip in, um, whether that's here in the next week or two before the ice goes out. Typically, we run up to Lake of the Woods for that, but looking at other options too, whether that's you know Devil's Lake or Sakakawea or you know somewhere else. I mean, there's a few options out there, but that's that's an itch that I've got left to scratch. I, I just haven't gotten out yet to do that. Well, I tell you what. When you think about a, a March day, right, out on the ice, sun's going to be pretty darn powerful. To, you know, and it is this time of the year. And and the potential for just an absolutely beautiful day where you can sit outside and watch those flags. And the destinations you mentioned, I mean, they're all Trophy Pike and, and known for that. So, uh, boy, I don't think you can go wrong by planning a trip like that this time of year. Yeah, the only thing that could go wrong is if you forget to bring the sunscreen. Because I know uh, there's been many a days I've sat in that lawn chair out on the ice, and you come back in and you take the sunglasses off, and it, there's some pretty good uh, good eye color going on there. So I hear you. It's always, always uh, this time of the year something that you have to remember to throw into the box um, that we, you know, kind of have forgotten about the rest of the winter, but it's, it's that time of the year again. And, and that's why that ice is disappearing, right? You get, that's, that sun is awful strong. Yeah, no, it's fun to get out there. Those beautiful days you sit out, have some fun with some friends and, you know, kind of just relax. It's not a very, I wouldn't say very, um, in depth time of the year where you're trying to get after a bite. You kind of know where these pike are going to be. You set up in an area and you wait for them to come to you. You're not chasing them down and trying to get on top of these fish too often. So it's really kind of a relaxing way for, for me to send off the season. So, so Anthony, you got to dispel uh, whether it's a myth or, or a rumor or whatever, but I hear that some folks use actual hot dogs as bait when they're doing that. Is that something that you have in your arsenal? I never have used them. I know people that have, and they've caught and fish on them. So I know that they work. I just haven't really brought myself to do it. There's been a couple of trips though, where we, you know, didn't know exactly how much bait we needed to bring. And so we've thrown a pack in because we're like, worst case, we'll throw them on the grill. Exactly. They're not going to go to waste. Yeah. So we've done that. We, I think we've brought them with before, but I've never actually, I've never personally put one on a tip up and put it in the water. Interesting. Interesting. But so what do you have lined up for, for the rest of your season, maybe wrapping things up? Well, I tell you what, Anthony, when this podcast airs here in just a couple of days, it'll be Friday the 13th. Um, and, and I'm not going to look at that as a bad omen, but I'll, I am going to be heading out over the weekend to chase some tulabies, some crappies, and uh, and have some fun doing that in what very likely may be my last local trip, depending on how ice conditions hold up. Uh, and then uh, the following weekend, I'm going to be headed with the FM Walleyes Unlimited crew up to Lake Winnipeg. 
And we're bringing about 150 ice anglers up to the South Beach Casino, Lake Winnipeg. We'll be meeting up with the Walleye Anglers Association of Manitoba and their 50 to 60 members who will attend. We're going to have a big group. You know, we're, we're talking over 200 anglers. We do some we do some banquets at night. We, we cater the dinner into the banquet room and, and we do some raffles. We do some prizes. We do some games, one of which is that the kind of the, the big one. It's the Can-Am Challenge. And uh, it's it's a random draw. You can enter the, the drawing and we pick five from the USA and five from Canada. And in a one-day deal, they, they measure their longest fish of the day. We add those lengths together between all five anglers and... Uh, and the winning country gets plaques, and more importantly, the they get the notoriety of being the champions for that year until this happens again uh, 365 days from now. Yeah, having been to that event, I know it's one of those things that's uh, a pretty pretty good time, and you guys kind of just take over that South Beach Casino and you know take over the ice. There's a, a big migration of guys going out in the morning and you know, tackling that body of water. I actually just got back from, from being, being up there for two and a half days and it's just an amazing fishery. I mean, there's not anywhere else that a person can really go that's easy to get to and just know that you have, you know, that high of a chance of catching a trophy fish. My biggest fish for the weekend was a little over 28 inches and the group that I was with, they had multiple over 28s. And so, it's just one of those places that if you haven't been, you need to get there. If you've been there before and haven't gotten back, it's it's truly one of those trips. You, It used to be a bucket list fishing trip for me, but now it's an annual trip for me. That that sentiment right there, Anthony, has been true for so many folks. And it was true for myself. The first time going up there, it was, uh, it was one of those deals where I had kind of looked at, you know, Lake Erie or Columbia River and where do we go to catch trophies? And then all of a sudden... Lake Winnipeg came onto the radar and that was 11, 12 years ago. And it was a bucket list trip destination that turned into an annual trip, which now turns into multiple times every year, making, making the trip up and it's the fishing, it's the lake, it's the, it's the whole adventure of it all, but it's also the people. I got to be honest, the, the, the folks from the walleye club that come up with us are great people. That's, that's a lot of fun, but the friends we've made in Manitoba have been just incredible. Some of them have turned into what I know will be lifelong friends um, to share fishing experiences, share fishing knowledge. And, you know, that's that's one of those passions that keeps us rejuvenated and, and on fire about ice fishing is is being able to have those those people you can you can talk to and you can you can help each other out. And that that whole scenario is just really, really cool. Yeah, it's a great trip and you know, the more and more people that go up there, I mean I know even on my way home, I was passing passing rigs going north, and I knew they were heading up there for the, for, you know, for the week or a couple of days. And it's just one of those things that you know, as we advance with the technology and the gear that we have, it's become more and more accessible for people. And you know, I think people are you know taking advantage of that, but also you know being respectful of that resource too. There's just so many big fish in that system, and. and I think it's really cool to see people taking pictures of them. You know, as as I was moving around on the ice, every time I would move, there was somebody taking pictures of a fish, and you knew they were putting it back. And so, being able to go up there and enjoy that resource is something really cool. Yeah, and this time of the year, if you're able to fish outside at all, it's really fun because it was such a big sheet of ice, and and you know, people are fairly concentrated in certain areas up there, and 
and you get in this crowd and, and it's not really a crowd because your nearest person is probably three, 400 yards away from you, but yet you can hear these little hoots and hollers that are taking place and in, in this, the peripheral of where you're fishing and you know, Hey, someone just caught a dandy. They just caught a personal best or, or whatever this scenario you use your imagination, but uh, just kind of being a part of it and taking it all in is pretty fun. Yeah, exactly. Everybody that I've been up there with, I mean, it seems like somebody's topping their personal best and having that fish of a lifetime come through the ice. Hey, shifting gears just a little bit, let's just, uh, we've had some great listeners to Shack Talk over the seasons and certainly this season. It's been just, uh, it's been really fun getting messages, visiting with folks who listen to the podcast who have ideas. I know we had one of our segments earlier this season, uh, an individual messaged us about wanting to hear more on panfish. And we brought Ryan Weiland in to talk about panfish tactics. And we, we certainly are open to doing more of that. And if folks have ideas, if they have ideas on a topic or a guest or a destination or a species or whatever it might be, whatever, whatever topic related to ice fishing, that we can bring in an expert. And I think that's really the key, Anthony, is, you know, you and I are, are just a couple of guys who love to ice fish. But when you bring in an expert who really knows their craft in one of those areas or destinations, it makes it so fun for all of us. Yeah. And I think we really hit on the fact that we can bring in an expert on one technique and we could probably bring in someone else on that same technique next season and they might give us a totally different perspective. There's just so much to learn I learned a lot this season listening to our different guests that we had on the on the podcast, and you know, I even tried to practice some of those tips and techniques and different gear and things that we you know talked about on the on the podcast. I'm always trying to learn. I'm always trying to you know use that next technique or presentation or however I want to go out on the ice and target those fish. I'm always learning, always trying to improve my you know fishing repertoire and trying to get that next big fish or tackle that next new body of water. And likewise, I know our listeners are doing the same thing because they've told us. So if you're a listener to the podcast, if, if you're someone who follows us along, whether it be on social media, through the podcast and, and other venues as well, do not for a second hesitate to reach out. Personal message us, uh, you know, send, send us a, a message to either ourselves directly or Fish Addictions or Brewer Agri Outdoors, whatever it might be, just just reach out. Don't, don't hesitate to do that. Throw out your suggestions. Give us your ideas, your thoughts, things you'd like to see, things you'd like to hear us talk about and guests you might, uh, might want to learn from. And you know what? We've got a couple of months now, Anthony, where, uh, like I say earlier, unfortunately the season is done, but we've got a couple months ahead of us where we can – uh, spend some time planning and preparing for next season. And, and we're going to be doing a fair amount of that over the, the summer months and, and be ready to hit the ground rolling next fall when, when we start thinking about ice again. Yeah, I'll be patiently waiting to, you know, start talking ice fishing again. It'll be nice to have a little break and, you know, we'll enjoy the summer and have fun. But in a blink of an eye, it'll be over and we'll be, you know, getting those cooler temps, starting to think about ice fishing. And, you know, I really enjoyed our you know, a segment this year, the Why Do You Ice Fish segment. We got to talk to a lot of different people and different demographics and regions and just experience levels out on the ice. And it was fun to hear their stories. I think that was probably from the season, my favorite takeaway was listening to all those stories and 
being able to share, you know, a little bit of what we do with them and listening to them tell us about their stories. That was really cool. And I, I hope we can continue with that in, in some form or fashion moving forward. That would be fantastic. We had some amazing personalities on for that segment. And, uh, you know, how do you find enjoyment on the ice? What drives the passion? What what is it that that makes you want to go out during these bitterly cold months and and uh, drill a hole in the ice and, and drop a lure in there? I'll tell you why. We heard some pretty cool stories from people's past, from people's present, and, and goals they have for the future. And and I would agree that's a great segment. Yeah, I agree. One of the, the goals that I kind of set for myself even before this season and before we got into the podcast, and we actually touched on it on a topic, was going after those trophy size fish. And so that was kind of a personal goal for me was to try and see, you know, can I, can I catch some of those trophies this winter? And obviously you did 28 plus on Winnipeg last weekend. That's not anything to sneeze at. Yeah. So I, I got the walleye last weekend. Um, over the course of the season, I had uh, a 15 inch crappie, a 14 plus inch bluegill or not bluegill perch sorry and uh, i really hope that i can get a big pike you know that'd be kind of four really big species that i was kind of after I, I didn't get the the big bluegill that i wanted i was hoping to try and maybe get one over 10 inches but didn't get that opportunity but you know it was really fun for me to kind of have a kind of a different mindset going into the season and kind of try and tackle some of those goals no kidding anthony as we uh, as we wrap it up here for the season on shack talk Let's maybe just share a couple of our thoughts and ideas on how how we take care of our gear going into the summer period where it's going to be dormant for a number of months before just in an effort to help all of us find a way to to make sure that when we pull it back out next fall, next early winter that everything's in good shape and ready to go for us and perform like we wanted on the ice. Yeah, to me everything is just about being clean and dry. Throughout the season you're out there and getting fish slime on your gear and your shacks getting a little beat up or, you know, anything that you've gone through out in the ice. I always try to make sure to address those things when it comes to put it away for the year. You got your shack, open it up, dry it out. I know you even mentioned going as far as cleaning the inside of it out. Well, for me, one of the things that always tends to accumulate dirt and snow and, and, uh, waxworm bedding or, or whatever else it might be, you know, uh, candy wrappers and pop bottles and stuff is, is the inside of my tub on my flip shack. And and when you're using it every weekend and, and sometimes um, during, the, you know, multiple times during the week, you do your best to keep it clean, but you know hey, I'm going to bring it right back out. So at the end of the season, I, I like to do, as you described, is just to set it all up, get it aired out, but I'll also take a bucket of water and a sponge and just kind of clean out the bottom of that tub so it's nice and clean. I can store gear in there after it's all dry and 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 ready to go and to me, it just makes it easier when I pull it back out next year. You feel like I got a fresh start and I'm ready to roll. Yeah, that's probably one of the biggest pieces of advice that I've received over the years is a good friend of mine. They put their stuff away so that it's ready to go next year because everybody knows once the ice gets here, you're probably busy in the fall doing all kinds of stuff. You don't want to waste a ton of time getting your gear ready. So if it's ready to go when you're getting into the ice season, you don't have to worry about spending all that time. Well, yeah, this year we barely got our deer butchered in the freezer and we were, you know, already looking for which lakes bodies of water had ice and some of them did safe ice that we could jump on and and catch fish. So exactly being prepared, being ready ahead of time is a good thing. Yeah. So take care of your, you know, your equipment, your electronics, make sure those batteries are charged before you put them away. I, 
I know I usually try to remind myself in the summer to maybe top them off or check on them. I know some of those new lithium batteries, they probably don't really lose any charge, but it's always a good idea. It's a good practice. I always set a little reminder right after the 4th of July on my calendar to uh, pull my pull my batteries out, my electronics, my flashers, my my ion battery, and, and some of these others, and just uh, just give them a quick top off on on the charge, make sure they're they're set, and and then I put them back. I usually store them away so they're accessible. Uh, but then put them away after that mid-season charge, and and I been pretty lucky with it, if you will. But you know, some of it's not luck. If you take care of stuff, it's going to work, and and you do those things, they're they're ready to go next fall. Yeah, and I would say the last thing that I typically do is you know wash my apparel, whether that's my gloves, my hats, my suits, get it all clean, get it dry, like we mentioned with everything else, pack it away in a tote, and. You know, you're ready to go for next year. You're not going to worry about opening up a bait puck that had minnows left in it from the year before. Yuck. You're right. That's not a pleasant surprise when that happens. And one of the things that I found too, Anthony, that that really I always have to remind myself to pay attention to is is when I'm washing my gloves and drying them. A lot of times you dry them, either hang them dry or or you put them in the, the dryer or whatever, whatever works best. Sometimes the inside doesn't get completely dry. So throw them on a boot dryer, a glove dryer, make sure that the inside is completely dry. If you don't, they're going to be full of mold and mildew come next fall. But if you take care of it, make sure they're completely dry, storm away in a tote, you're in good shape. Yeah. Follow the washing and drying instructions. You're usually pretty good to go there. Again, just I hang all my stuff outside or like you mentioned, I think that's a great tip. Put it on a boot dryer and dry out the insides and get everything nice and clean. What about your augers? Anthony, we mentioned charging your battery on your your ion electric auger, and and certainly that's a I mean that's an easy one, right? Throw a charge on now, and then mid season do the same. You're you're good to go. But gas augers, yep, right? Uh, propane augers. Do you have a routine you use for those? Yeah, so I have a propane auger. I'm pretty much those are pretty maintenance free, so I don't worry too much about it. You know, I'll take the make sure the tank is off and make sure that you know I run it and make sure it kind of empties itself out. Make sure that for those types of augers that they typically have a way that they should be stored. It you know if it has instructions on there on this side up or whatever. Make sure that you're storing it in that indicated location so that it's correctly stored and you're not going to worry about the oil dripping out or making a mess or you know the the engine not wanting to start when you go to use it the next time so that's kind of my tip for for storing your augers i know i know for me when using my my two cycle auger i i've got the uh the f1 rocket auger and from the get-go i've always used the 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 pre-canned gas mix right so you buy it right at your local hardware store sporting goods store and it's already mixed. It already has fuel stabilizer in it. It's all set to go. And um, that's really helped a lot because that has everything you need in it to make sure it can sit during the off season and things will still be good to go. Yeah, those new fuel cans are super helpful. And, you know, if you're not using those, give them a try. If you if you aren't using them, I would, again, recommend getting a fuel stabilizer. They're instructions on there are pretty easy to follow and add a little bit make sure you run it through and get it into the lines and you should be good to go i typically would always dump out my gas and i can use it for something in the summer whether that's my weed eater or chainsaw or something like that so i usually kind of get rid of the old gas and try and get that used up in the summer so that i know i'm using fresh gas when i'm 
coming back to get that gear in the winter. Great, great tips. And, uh, you know, one of the other things when we talk about augers, whether it's electric, propane, gas, no matter what, I like to make sure I change my auger blades before I put it away. For the same reason you mentioned earlier, next fall, I might be just fired up about getting on the ice and I might not have time to sit there and change the the blades or, you know, not that we don't, it doesn't take that long to do it, but still everything I can do now just takes away from what I need to do next fall or early ice time. Yeah, that's great advice. And I would even go a step further and on some of my blades or batteries, you know, I'll put the date on there. Like when I bought a new battery, put the date on there. When I change a set of blades, you know, okay, these ones are old. I'll put them on a shelf because Sometimes with the blades, I'll maybe try and get them sharpened or I know, okay, if I'm going somewhere where it's going to be dirty ice, maybe I'll put an older set of blades back on just to, I know I've only got to drill a few holes and I'm not going to wreck a new set of blades. So little tips like that's just great piece for, for someone to try and use on their own to be a little bit more mindful when they're, I think, like you said, putting their gear away, you know, well, did I change the blades or didn't I change the blades? By the time next fall or winter rolls around, most of us, if you're like me, I've forgotten. So I'll just soon do it sooner and know that it's taken care of. Yeah. I've, I've got a black Sharpie in my garage and I don't know. It's probably one of the things I use the most. I'm labeling things or marking the dates on things, or I'll go as far on some of my fishing rods. Like when I'm respooling line, sometimes I'll even mark the date underneath the spool. Like, so that I know, okay, this one was changed at this time, or I'll put a little piece of sticker or something on there and Otherwise, I forget because I'll come to next year and I've got six, eight rods. And it's like, well, I know I didn't put line on all of these, but which ones did I put new line on? Hey, that's a great question, Anthony. What about your ice rods? What about your ice reels? How often do you change line on, on that equipment? So for for me, I like to run braid on a lot of my rods. Uh, my panfish gear, I run fluorocarbon. Uh, with the new inline reels, that fluorocarbon doesn't seem to get the memory that it used to. So I'll go a season or two on that. Um, I guess it's kind of personal preference on how much you use it, how you store it. Um, one of the biggest things with rods is don't store them in direct sunlight. That can help break down the line, um, keep them in a cool, dark place. That seems to help the line as well. Um, you know, don't just throw them up in the top of your attic in your garage where it's going to be 140 degrees in the summertime um, and expect them to be fine. Um, so take care of your gear. And then I run braid on a lot of ro- uh, my spinning reels. I'll go one, two, maybe even three seasons. I'll I'll spool it on backwards or I'll cut off the pieces that kind of got the most abuse. But you, know, you can get quite a bit of longevity on some of those new super lines, braided lines that they have out there. Great advice. Great advice. How about you? Any last little tips for storing your gear or getting ready for next season other than maybe scoping out the ads when we get to next year on what we need to replace? Well, I'll tell you what, one of the things that's always in my mind is is making sure, and I have a I have this, I've I've installed a battery tender on my snowmobile. When I store it away for the winter, I put I put a battery tender and and I plug it in so that it, it's just there to monitor the battery and make sure it's topped off if there is any draw over the season. So I don't have a dead battery when I want to bring it back out. And um and I kind of do some of that maintenance on the snowmobile too in this in the spring rather than the the fall and winter and in, in you know new spark plugs, checking the belt, all of those things where I know I have six, seven months ahead of me to to get a replacement part to 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 get it installed and and do what I need to do. So again, next fall, I'm not uh 
running around at the last minute trying to, to find these things that I need to have to go out on the ice. The other thing too, Anthony, is that I always, and I don't always do this, but I just try and remember to pull my map chip out of my GPS on my snowmobile. Inevitably, I'm going to use it on my boat, but all too often I'll forget it in that GPS. And then I put, put the sled into storage and, and, and then it's a matter of, oh no, I don't have it. I got to run and find it. I got to go back into that storage area. And um, yeah, just a little, little helpful hint. Yeah. I think that's great advice for everyone. And, you know, if you guys have tips for, for us, I mean, I'm always looking to learn new tips and how to make my life easier. I think one of those things is trying to look at the, you know, little hacks or different things that you can do to make things easier for you. And, you know, that's what we're here for is to share that advice for everyone out there on the ice. Definitely agree with that. So I guess that kind of wraps things up. Uh, We really want to thank Eskimo sponsor for Shack Talk podcast. Uh, Without them, we wouldn't be able to do this podcast. And if you have feedback for for them, like things you want to hear and different things, you know, let them know that you enjoy the podcast. They make it possible for us. We had a lot of great guests on the podcast. I'd love to thank all of them for joining us. We learned a lot and got to share with all the listeners. And and we thank you, the listeners of the podcast. Uh, We we're able to do this. We're able to share our stories with you. And we really appreciate you listening and providing your feedback for us. And as we approach the off season, we really hope that you're all able to get out, enjoy the summer, get out fishing, and just be safe and have a, have a great off season. So with that, Anthony, Kyle, we'd like to say thank you and uh, we'll see you next year. <laughs>